Amen. Amen. So good. So good. Well, this is the last installment in our summer series, Conversations. I hope that you have enjoyed this sermon series certainly as much as I have. We prayed before the service and our circle time. We always pull up and just go over the details, but then we always pray. And one of the things we were praying for is that this series is going to inspire you to believe that God wants to have a conversation with you. It's one of the reasons why we've been talking about all these conversations. We're, we're learning things. We're going to learn some, some, some heavy things tonight. We're going to swim, I like to say, in the, in the deep end of the pool tonight, theologically, talking about some economic principles. But most importantly is that we want you to come out of the series and say, you know what? God wants to talk to me, just, just like he talked to people here in this book. Let me just talk about where we're headed to. Starting next week, we're going to launch a new sermon series. It's going to be, I think, about five weeks, entitled Shalom, which is a Hebrew word for peace. We're going to talk about being at peace with yourself, being at peace with God, being at peace with creation, and being at peace with others. And then we're going to talk to you about how that sermon series is connecting in. That's why you see the t-shirts that we're advertising, especially the one for Shema and for Doxa. If you've been a part of this church for any, any amount of time, you know Praxis is kind of the, the pillar or the anchor of our approach to discipleship. We're adding three new quadrants to that. So I'm going to cast that vision for you next week, that there's four quadrants to this approach to discipleship for us as a strategy for how the character of Christ forms in us. So that's all going to be part of that series too. And then I just want to remind you too that, that next week, that's when we do communion. We do communion, the Lord's Supper, together as a church the first weekend of every month. So if you're watching online, make sure that you bring some elements to the online service for yourself, that you can share in that with us. But if you're here in person, one of the things that we're going to start doing every communion weekend for the foreseeable future is that we want to create some meaningful experiences for you. If you remember last month, we had the foot washing for people that had been wounded by a spiritual leader. And uh, next weekend, we're going to be uh, doing something. It's simple, but yet incredibly profound if you wrestle with shame. So if you struggle with shame from your past, things that you've done, if, if you know somebody that's wrestling with shame, you should bring them next week. I'm telling you, there's going to be a meaningful, it's a simple experience, but a meaningful experience for them. So I hope that you join us for that. All right, our text tonight we're gonna, we got a chunk of verses we're going to read together. I'm going to break it up a little bit because it's, it's, it's a run, but I'm going to read from 13 to 21, then I'm going to stop and talk a little bit, and then, uh, and then I'm going to read the second chunk from 22 to, to, to 34. This starts as a conversation, but then this impromptu conversation that Jesus has with his two brothers it launches him into this, this sermon that's a little bit also of a tirade. You can see, you'll see it, Jesus is frustrated. Beginning in verse 13, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. They need to understand this 2,000 years ago in this Jewish audience. What this means is that this brother wants 50%. We have to assume that the father has passed away. And Jewish custom and Jewish tradition was that However many sons, ladies were left out, but however many sons that there were in the household, they would, be, they would add the number one to it and divide the estate by that. So if there were two sons, the estate would be divided by three. If there were four sons, the estate would be divided by five, yes. And the oldest son would get the extra portion because the oldest son was then responsible for the family 
And that also meant they were financially responsible for the family, so they were given extra resources for that. So this other son, we assume is the younger brother, is saying, hey, Jesus, tell my brother I want half. I don't want any of the responsibility of caring for my family. I just want half the money. Jesus replied, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? What Jesus is saying here in a really nice way is, have you not been paying attention to anything I've been saying? I'm here to talk about the kingdom of heaven. I am not here to settle disputes for you, especially if the dispute is just because you want a higher standard of living. I'm here to talk about eternal things. Then he said this, right? You can see, right, his frustration. He gives the answer, but then all of a sudden there's just a sermon brewing inside of him. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops, and he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I'll have enough room to store all the wheat and the other goods, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, You will die this very night, and then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool who stores up earthly wealth, but does not have a rich relationship with God. Whew. All right, listen, we're going to do a couple of giveaways tonight. Let's let's start with teachers. Do I have any teachers in here that that are getting ready to go back to school? How many teachers? I got, I see some teachers. And we're going to give them a first shot. And if they can't get the answer right, they should because they're teachers. But if they can't, if they can't, no pressure, we're going to shift to the teenagers. You with me? So if you had to pick one word, my teachers, if you had to pick one word, this is a $10 iTunes gift card. I'm going to just put it right here. You'll have to come up and get it if you win. If you had to pick one word to describe the subject that Jesus talked about more than anything else, what would that one word be? Any takers? Tyler? Money. Come on. There you go. That's yours. All right. All right. Well done, sir. Now, some of you, anybody surprised by that answer? Yeah? Surprised that he got it right or surprised that that's the answer? That's great. They, <laughs> Anthony's like, I'm going to snatch that thing. You might not know this. 16 of 38 of Jesus' parables. Money. 16 of 38. One out of every 12 verses in the New Testament, money. One out of every 12. There are roughly 500 verses on prayer in the New Testament. There are less than 500, 500 on faith. There are over 2,000 that deal with money and finances. It's fascinating, isn't it? Fascinating. Luke 12, 12 to 34. 22 to 34. Sorry, you're like, please don't reread all those again. 22 to 34. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any bird's. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. 
And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he certainly cares for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what you eat or, or drink, and don't worry about such things, right? Because we're going to have free food for you after church. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, Jesus says, but, but your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. These are incredible promises. Verse 32, so don't be afraid, little flock, for it, it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Last two verses, sell your possessions. Everybody's saying amen to Jesus up until this point, right? They're like, oh, this is great. And then he gives it to them. So I want you to sell your possessions and give to the needy. He's like, I think he's talking to you. Listen to what he says here. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Here it comes. Wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be also. We teach about giving and money and finances. We're going to talk a little bit about tithing tonight. We, we do it just a few times a year. You should be glad that we don't talk about money as much as Jesus did. I'm just saying. Everybody wants to go to a New Testament church until that church starts talking about money as much as the Bible does, right? I was thinking back when Vanessa and I had our one-year anniversary a long time ago. We made this trip down to Florida. We went to Orlando. We did uh, Hollywood. Uh, we did SeaWorld and, and Hollywood Studios. And then we made a little trip over to Clearwater because we heard that was just incredible. And it was. It was beautiful. We stayed at a, a hotel right there on the, on the Gulf. And so we were looking through the hotel book to find just a restaurant. We wanted to, we, we wanted to find Italian food somewhere. And, uh, and so, of course, there's a, restaurant, uh, there's a whole list of restaurants to go. And so we picked one. And we drove down there. And we get in there. And... Uh, I, I kid you not, I can still see it today. It, we, we sat there overlooking the golf, but when we were in there, we felt like we were in a scene from the movie The Godfather. I kid you not. Every stereotype that you might have, whether it's fair or not, which I know was probably taking some chances to even talk about ethnic stereotypes, but I'm going to do it anyways. Sorry for the offense in advance. But the, 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 the waiter who waited on us, he had this heavy, heavy, thick Italian accent. It was hard to understand him. His hair was slicked back just like you would envision if you have stereotypes. There was a lady that was playing the live piano in there. Her skin was so wrinkled it was like a linen shirt that had never seen an iron. She, I, and, and, and she had to have been at least 80 years old, right? But her hair looked like she was 20. So Vanessa like, is it a wig? Does she dye it? There's no way. That's her hair. The waiter made the most incredible Caesar salad you've ever had in your life. He did it in a wooden bowl right there at the table. Brings out a car, all table side preparation. It was unbelievable. I kid you, I kid you not. When we were walking into the restaurant, we almost didn't go in because as we were going up the steps, we noted off to the side there was this door that led to what maybe was like an office and there were like five or six rounded Italian men that looked like they had been eating pasta their whole life with the big glasses and big heavy cigars. And Vanessa was like, I'm pretty sure they just put a hit out on somebody right there. I'm not sure we should go eat dinner here. But we did, and it was delicious, and no one died. That we know of. That we know of. Why am I telling you that story? Because if you like Caesar salads like I do, you know this. Anchovies are in the recipe. 
I don't like anchovies. But if you don't put it in the Caesar salad, it just doesn't taste right. So this is, this is my philosophy as a pastor. you got to teach on tithing and giving and finances just enough so that the culture of your church is flavored and seasoned by generosity. If you do it too much, it's a little bit fishy. It's a little bit fishy. Just saying. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So we do it just enough. Just enough. And then if you don't give, we're going to call those Italian men and then you can talk to them. You can talk to them. The three most important verses in Jesus' sermon here for our message tonight are verses 21 and then 33 to 34. Let me read them again to you. 21 said, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So right here, Jesus says something that's a little bit controversial. He connects money and how we use it with our relationship with God. He does it right here, just says it plainly. And then, just to make sure, right, at the end of the sermon, he comes back to it. He talks about selling our possessions and give to the needy, and then he says, because wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I get it, this makes us nervous, but this is what Jesus said, so it's important that we understand it. He's making a direct correlation and a direct connection to the feelings of affection that we have in our heart towards God, and what we do with our money, especially when we give it to things that God loves. Now, this is a couple of points. I'm just going to throw them up here. God does not need our money. This is not what this is about. Verse 33 clearly says that. It doesn't say that we've got to store up treasures in heaven because God, like he's a king, he's taxing us and he needs our resources. He says, no, 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 you're you're storing up those treasures in heaven for you. He doesn't need our money. Nothing is more important than feeling affection for God. That's verse 15. We spend our, this is what he's saying to this kid. Your father's just died. And you're coming to me because you want your brother to give you more money so you can have a higher standard of living? It's as if Jesus is saying is not only did your relationship with your earthly father suffer, but clearly your relationship with your heavenly father is not that much better. He's saying get your priorities right. And then I think in verses 21 and then 34, Jesus tells us that money is a means of feeling the richness of that affection. That's what we're going to break that down tonight. Because that can be troubling to people. And then sometimes that's misused. And we don't want to misuse it. But if Jesus said it, we need to understand it. Matthew 22, 35 to 40. One of them, an expert in religious law. This is right at the end of Jesus' life. Towards the end of his three years of ministry before he's crucified. An expert in religious law tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. One of the other gospels puts in strength. And this is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important, to love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. So here's Jesus at the end of his life, and somebody says, what's the most, out of all the things that you've taught, what's What's the most important? He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, let me just ask you this question. If Jesus at the end of his life is saying that being in love with God is more important than anything else, why would he have spent the last three years of his life talking about money more than anything else? Is this an admission of guilt? Is this a mea culpa by Jesus? Is Jesus saying, you know, when I look back over the last three years of my life, if I could do it over... I would have talked about something else more important. That's not what he's doing here. Think what he's saying to us 
is I've spent three years talking about money and finances because I want you to understand that there's a connection between what you do with your money and whether or not you're going to have a loving relationship with God. Now, let me make this point in case somebody misquotes me later tonight. God's love for us is unaffected by our giving. I am not saying, I'm not saying that the way you give determines how much God loves you because there's nothing you can do to change the way how much God loves you. That's not what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about how much you love God. And we're talking about your ability to feel those feelings of affections. Not just say that you love him, but have feelings of affection towards your creator and your heavenly father. Jesus clearly connects that to our generosity here in this sermon from this conversation with these two brothers. So let's talk a little bit about, we could talk about lots of aspects of generosity, lots of aspects of giving, but I want to hone in on tithing in particular tonight because that tends to be one of the ones that's the most controversial. Now, if you are a college student, come on, there's a $50 gift card that we're going to give away in, in just a little bit. So if you did not get a raffle ticket, make sure you're on your honor here. Come on. If, if you are, a, let's say, a young adult college student, Penny's back there, she's going to give you a raffle ticket, and then she's going to come up here, and then I'm going to draw it in just a minute. And you're going to be part of it, help us with a, a living illustration. All right, raise your hand, Penny's going to give you a ticket. If you've already got a ticket, then we're going to draw it in just a few minutes. Genesis 14, 18 to 20. Genesis 14, 18 to 20. I'm not going to read this for the sake of time, but this is where Abraham, after he goes and rescues his family and, 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 uh, from kings that have, have come and conquered, and he goes and rescues them, and then he gives a tithe of everything that he got to Melchizedek. Now, this is pre-Mosaic law. This is important because a lot of people say that tithing is a, is a Mosaic law principle, but that's not true. As we study Scripture, we see that this idea of 10% predates the Mosaic law. Predates it, predates it. And then in Matthew 23, 23, we see that Jesus affirms it. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, he says. You are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Listen to what he says. You should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things. Now you might say, well, Fred, that's just in one verse. I don't know about you, but I'm just saying if Jesus says it once, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. It's enough for me. God created the human heart. Thank you, Penny. God created the human heart with an incredible capacity to feel affection. He created your human heart with the incredible capacity to feel affection. Aren't you grateful for that? So, so I brought some things up here tonight that have become keepsakes for me. My office is full of keepsakes. I've got bookshelves, and they're, they're on my desk. It's just, it's everywhere, everywhere in my office, from, from mission trips, from things that people have given me in the church. And can I just tell you that all of these things, with the exception of maybe this piece of contraband, which I'm going to explain in a minute, nobody's going to give me any money for these things. They, they don't have any real monetary value. This is an actual shell from a, a Navy warship. Now, I can't even tell you who gave me that because they probably weren't supposed to. We'll probably both get in trouble. But that's a cool thing. It's made of brass. That's neat, isn't it? Maybe that's worth something. This right here, that's one of the original offering plates of North Riverside Baptist Church that gifted us this building two and a half years ago. How many offerings do you think has been collected in, the, in, that, 
in that plate over the years, over the decades. It's powerful, isn't it? But that's not worth any money. But it's precious to me because it was a gift. This cork right here is from the champagne bottle that was in our honeymoon suite when we got to Mexico, when we were married in 97. This is from the first child funeral that I ever did early on in my ministry. Little fella. His favorite cartoon character was Buzz Lightyear. So his family gave this to me as a gift following his funeral. These are pictures that kids have drawn about me while I'm preaching. Right? Bald and bearded. They're getting it right. I've got all kinds of coins. These are a buddy of mine who's a motorcycle rider. Whenever he travels somewhere and goes to a Harley store that he's never been to, he brings me a Harley chip. This is for making tea. A missionary friend gave me that. If I were to try to sell some of these things on Facebook Marketplace, I'm not getting a whole lot of money. Are you tracking with me? But the value that those things hold is not measured monetarily. It's measured by affection. And putting all those things out, because I want you to, I want you to understand that affection can be a measure of value. Every time you spend money on one of these things that's on the screen, there's a slide that's going to pop up here. More than likely, there's a feeling of affection that you create when you do that. When you go somewhere to create a memory, when you give somebody a gift, a person that you love, if you've got dreams that you have and you invest in those, you're tracking with me, you're, you're, you're creating feelings of affection. Places, careers, possession, assignments. I've got assignments different. Hopefully your career is a sense of calling, but God has assignments for us in addition to whatever our career is. He's got assignments for us. He asks us to do things. Every time you give a monetary gift to someone, it carries with it. Here we're going to dip into economics just a little bit. Stay with me. Every time you spend money on something, it's not just measured by the value of the money that was spent. It's also measured by what economists call an opportunity cost. It means that its value is also understood by all the things that you chose not to do with that money. You tracking with me? All right, let's do the giveaway. You ready? I know. Just because you're not involved in it, don't, don't be that person. Don't act like you're not happy for other people. 864-569. Who's that? 864-569. Anybody? 864-569. Yes? Hey, is that Ethan? Okay. That seems not fair, doesn't it? If you're giving it away to your own kid, all right, I'm, I, we'll, we'll, give, we'll give him something, but we're not, let's, let's. You got another one? That seems fair. You got one. Let's do another. We'll do another. There you go. There you go. All right. People are like, talk about fishy. Your own kid wins it. That's classic. Eight six four five seven nine. Watch, it'll be Claire's. Hey! Oh. Is that Kenzie? I can't see. That's Kenzie. All right. Let's. You're welcome. Let's say Kenzie. She decides to do one of two things. Right. With that fifty dollars, she can either get a drink at Starbucks or a combo meal at Chick Fil A. Not both. One of those two. 
Whatever she decides to spend that money on, you track it with me? Whatever she buys with that $50, it's not just measured by the value of the actual money. It's measured by the cost and the value and the benefit of everything she chose to not do with it. Does that make sense? She could have done anything with that money. So all of those things that she chose not to do helps to define the value. In fact, economists would argue that all the things that you choose not to do with that money, all the goodness, all the experience, they call it utility, I'm going to add in their affection, all of that, what you do is you take all of that and you assign that to the value of the thing that you purchase. You're going to all walk out of here with an associate's degree in economics tonight. Jesus is teaching economics here in Luke chapter 12. He's teaching us economics. We sponsor a child through Food for the Hungry. I hope you sponsor a child. $32 a month. We could do other things with that money. But when we take that $32 and pay for that sponsorship, not only is that the value and the cost of that sponsorship, the value of the $32, it carries with it the value of all the things that we're choosing to not do with it. You, you, you understand this principle. This is why. Because at some point in your life, somebody has given you a gift and you have said to them, you did not have to do that. Right? You've said that at some point. You've said that at some point. You've given a gift to somebody and at some point they said to you, you didn't have to do this. You didn't have to do this. And, and your answer is, of course, that's why it's a gift. But what they're communicating to you is that they recognize you could have done all kinds of things with that money, but you chose to give it to me. And so when you say you didn't have to do that, or they say that to you, what's being communicated is that you recognize there's an incredible sense of value that's being ascribed to that person through that gift, not just by the value of the gift itself, because it might not even have a lot of monetary value connected to it, but it's all the things that you could have done with your time, with your attention. Even if it doesn't cost a lot of money, the fact that they chose to give it to you, you could have given it to anybody. All They're assigning value to you through that decision. I believe God chose a percentage when it comes to tithing, listen to this, because he wanted both the billionaire and the day laborer to have equal opportunity for the same experience, a proportional opportunity cost that's voluntarily sacrificed. Isn't it genius? The billionaire and the day laborer have equal opportunity for the same measures of affection to God through the gift that they give. Is 10% of the billionaire's income more than 10% of the day laborer's it is, but when you understand value, not just through the monetary measure, but you understand it through everything that was given up and foregone in order for that gift to be made, all of a sudden the value of the billionaire's gift and the value of the day laborer's gift when it comes to something that's given to things that God loves, they have the potential and the capacity to be equally valuable. I've been tithing almost my entire life. Even when I was living a life of debauchery, oftentimes I would still tithe. Something inside of me was just driven, motivated, even when I was doing crazy things. But most certainly since December of 1990, when I made a vow of devotion to Christ, I was 23 years old. I'm 54 today. Been tithing 10%. 
my entire Christian life. Vanessa and I, as a family, our kids, they've grown up. They've been doing, they got a head start on us. They've been doing it their whole life, ever since they were little. We've been teaching them about this principle of tithing. Why? Because one of the things that we understand is what I'm teaching you tonight is it is one of the key ways that you begin to build affection in your heart towards God. And for some of you, if you don't feel that, it might be because you have a generosity problem. And that's just tithing. That's not counting faith promise and missions and giving to special projects. Sometimes, every month, when, when, when I write that check, sometimes I sit down and I think about, which, which can be a temptation, but if you think with this point of view, it does not become a temptation. You think about all the other things you could do with that money. How many of you have, you've, you've done that, right? You're giving your gift and you're thinking, oh, the things that I could do with this money. I'm going to encourage you to keep thinking that every time you do it. Why? Because God wants you to connect with what you're forgoing to give to something that's important to him. Because when you begin to understand what you're giving up in order to make that gift to him and things that he loves, you are assigning the affection that you are forgoing to have for other things, you're assigning that affection to God. And you begin to feel it. And I believe it's cumulative. I believe it's cumulative. For me, from 23, and even a lot sporadically before that, but, but faithfully, from 23 to 54, I think it's cumulative. You, this idea of, of compounding interest on retirement, we get that. I think there's, there's compounding through faithfulness and our generosity that builds affection in our heart towards God. I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus is giving us this teaching here in Luke chapter 12. Is there a cost if we don't? Yeah, I think there is. I think there is. But it's not just the cost that most of us have grown up learning. We did a whole sermon series in January called Me and Mine. If you want to hear some of the other things that we believe about tithing and generosity. Malachi 3, 7 to 10. I'm not going to read that for the sake of time. But there's all kinds of things that the Bible talks about. If we choose to not practice this, what I believe is a biblical principle. But where I've not taught out of before, as I began to really do a deep dive into this message over the last couple of weeks in, in my study and in my preparation, was I haven't spent a lot of time reading Malachi 3, 18, 11 to 18, which I usually stop at 10, but I didn't stop at 10 this week. I kept reading, and I found just some incredible things. Listen to this. Listen to this. God says, your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects or disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or trying to show that the Lord of heaven's armies, that we're sorry for our sins. From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed for those who do evil will get rich and those who dare to punish God, those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm, right? He's, he's sharing us this dilemma of mystery of the human experience. We're all gonna struggle with doubts at times. Listen to what he says in verse 16. Then, which is pivoting, the text is pivoting, those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. So he's comparing and contrasting those that love God and those that don't. He's comparing and contrasting those that trust God and those that don't. All of us, all right, I'm, myself included, I've been in this group. As of recent, at times, I struggle with my own doubts. We, we all spend time here. But we can't live there. 
God says, no, be in this crowd over here. And what's this crowd? He said, those, listen to what it says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other and the Lord listened to what they said. It's a powerful picture, isn't it? That God is listening in on our conversations with one another. Listen to what he says of them. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. And I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. And then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. He's telling us something incredible here, that you and I have a responsibility through the lives that we live to encourage one another in the faith. We have a responsibility to one another. That when one of us is slipping into this place of doubt, we have a responsibility to pull them back over. Friends do that for me. I hope friends are doing that for you. It's okay to struggle with doubts. That's part of, when we're doing the worship wrap-up, I wasn't even thinking about how this connects into the sermon. But this idea, this is one of the reasons why you shouldn't be alone in this life. You need friends that love you enough to come into that place of doubt and pull you back over into a place of faith. The family of God. We do that for one another. Not walking in these principles of generosity that the Bible gives to us, the greatest cost is not having access to less resource here. If we're giving because we're treating God like a slot machine, then we've missed it. The prosperity gospel is an offense to God. The greatest cost is not forgoing God's favor on temporal material possessions. That's not the greatest cost. The greatest cost is a loss, according to Jesus, in the richness of my relationship with God and how my actions are supposed to inspire others to discover affection for God themselves. Somebody sent me this recently. I'm not going to share their name, but I want to share their story. It says, in the midst of some difficult financial circumstances, it seemed I had one thing after another that needed repairing in my home. She writes, I did not grow up in a Christian family, and when talking with them recently about my financial struggles, they began to encourage me, and they said they knew everything was going to be fine. Listen to this. This girl who's a Christ follower, her family not. They shared that since I'd become a Christian and completely changed the way that I lived, they had never in all their life seen someone who was a Christian before seven days a week. That's powerful, isn't it? Never in their whole life have they known someone who professes Christ and lived it out every day. And they said they were convinced that God saw my genuine faith. She, she writes, my sister did offer some advice that I should give less and that God would understand. But after praying, I knew I was supposed to keep giving and trust that God would provide. Now I'm going to pause there because there is a fine line between faith and foolishness and we do not recommend people to be foolish with their money. I don't. And this church doesn't either. But we do believe that God speaks to us and sometimes he asks us to do things that does not make sense to other people. So look what she writes. So I had a quote for a hot water heater replacement, and the best quote was $300 more than what I had. Then a friend called and said they had $300 they wanted to give me, the exact amount of what they needed. Come on, stop it. But then she writes, but now I couldn't get the plumber to schedule the work who gave me the quote. She went two weeks without any hot water. So I did what anyone else would do at the City Life Church. I called Chuck and Penny Jordan. <laughs> I know. 
And of course, they knew someone who would come do the work, and they did it for the quote from the plumber that never showed up. She had all the money that she needed. God takes care of his children. Come on. So good. Thank you for who sent that in. Thank you for who sent that in. I, I share that with you because our lives are supposed to be a testimony to other people. People's hearts are just as desperate for the feeling of a love for God as ours is. And there's lots of ways. I'm not saying this is the only way. I'm not even telling you that it's the main way. I'm just telling you that Jesus says it's one way. And if you look into your heart and there's a lack of affection, a lack of feeling of love towards God, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you have a generosity problem? Are you walking in the things that Jesus says, give to these things because God loves them and feelings of affection will begin to well up in your heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 1 to 2, and then in verse 5. This is Paul writing here. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you and Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. Isn't this good? Our generosity should be inspiring other people to be generous. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. This is verse 5. But I want it to be a willing gift. Listen to me. This is important. Not one given grudgingly. This is, this is an important principle. If you tithe or give to missions or do other things out of generosity towards things that God loves and you do it because you feel like it is a bill that you owe or a debt that is required of you, it will not inspire affection in your heart towards God. It won't do it, which is why Paul talks about it here because he understands the principle. Because if it is an obligation and it is a requirement, you never had the opportunity to spend that money in any other way. You tracking with me? But when it's your choice, when it's money that's free for you to use however you would desire, then all of a sudden there are innumerable opportunities for you to use that money. And when you voluntarily say, I'm not going to use it for that, I'm going to give it to something that God loves, then all of the affection that you could have found here, you're assigning it to him. You're assigning it to him. That's why you don't fall in love with your mortgage company every month, right? Because you don't have a choice. You understand the difference? You do not get a letter from your mortgage company. You didn't have to send that to me. If you did, could you let me know? Because I'm going to refinance on Monday. See, when I'm talking to you tonight, you already understand it because it's part of your everyday life. What Jesus does is he's saying that part of your everyday life is also part of your relationship with God. Understand the connection, he's saying. We're going to invite the worship team to come back up. God wants there to be margins in our finances. If there are margins in our finances, then there is freedom of choice. And freedom of choice creates the capacity for me to assign elsewhere the affection foregone. So when I give to the things that God loves, I assign that affection to him. 
be careful to not be dismissive of things that are unfamiliar to you in this book. Just be careful. 2 Kings 23, verses 1 to 3, it says, Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the prophets, and all the people from the least to the greatest. That's so good, isn't it? And there the king read to them the entire book of the covenant. You think our church service is along at 90 minutes? You go to this one. The entire book of the covenant. That's the Torah, five books of the Bible. They had been found in the Lord's temple. Found, which means they had been lost. And the king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant with the Lord's presence and he pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all of his commands, laws, and decrees with all of his heart and soul. And in this way he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll and all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. So powerful. This is Josiah here. This is around 624 B.C. If you travel back in time, you get to King David. When, when, when there was a king on the throne who was a man after God's own heart, imperfect as he was, he was a man that loved God greatly. And it was a time when then all of the book of the covenant was a prominent part of their everyday life. In just 400 years, all of that in Israel had been completely lost. It's fascinating, isn't it? Lost. I believe that from the early church, 2,000 years ago, how much of what they knew and understood have we lost? Which is one of the reasons why we've been given this book, which is one of the reasons why we're so committed to it here at City Life Church. This is the pathway back to everything that's undiscovered. It's the pathway back to everything that, that we've lost, that's been lost to our understanding and our relationship with him. I think some of you, you're going to hear this message whether you're at home whether you're here in person. And you're going to start giving, not out of compulsion, but because you've learned something tonight about how you can create feelings of affection in your heart towards God. Jesus says it. Stand with me. Then we're going to go into a song. There is nothing like the feeling of being rich in love with God And I don't know about you, but I'm going to trust Jesus to teach me how to get there. Father, I pray for people tonight. As they look into their heart, if maybe the kind of affection they hope to find is lacking, that they're going to be willing to ask themselves some honest questions. Have they been storing up their treasures in heaven? Have they, have they been giving of their finances to the things, God, that you say that you love and that are important to you? I pray that some people, they're going to be inspired to go home, get more serious about the stewardship of their resources, have a plan for all their discretionary money, and that part of that plan is going to be given to things that matter to you. Help us to break free from the false thinking that says, if I... If I loved God as much as they did, I would probably give more and help them to begin to realize they've got that all backwards. That if they would walk in a place of obedience in giving to the things, God, that you say that you love, 
then they're going to be surprised at the wellspring of affection that's going to begin to well up in their hearts. Father, help us to walk in faithfulness to all that you expect us to pursue and embrace with a willing heart. And help us to continue to look to Christ to be our teacher, your Holy Spirit to be our guide, and your word to be a lifetime of exploration. Help us, Jesus, to walk in your ways. In Christ's name, come on, let's worship together.